everyone. <clears throat> um, so uh, if some of you who I don't know, my name is Anu Matthew, and our, um, I'm going to be reading our sermon text today. Um, it comes from Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 13 to 43, okay? So I'll take, um, I don't know if you guys will follow along. I hope you do. So um, here it is, Acts 13, 13 to 43. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Phathos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogues and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, saying, Men of Israel and all who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made them the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. But before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing this course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No. But behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has become sent the messenger of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they do not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which was read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who came out with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, that this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the Psalm, second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, 
No more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the laws of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogues broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with him, urged them to continue in the grace of God. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's hear for a new guys and gals. Yeah, great job, new. All right, well, that's all we have for you guys. Uh, Anu stepping in the fray, reading us 30 verses from Acts. Thank you. Um, well, good morning. How's everyone feeling with that daylight savings time? Amen. Some of you parents are like, I didn't get no savings time. My kids woke up at 5 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. Amen. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, obviously, we're going to be in Acts 13. 13 through 43, uh, turn there. A quick recap to catch us up to speed. If this is your first time in the transit, we just want to welcome you uh, from the pulpit, our sermons. We, we tend to go through books of the Bible. And so we've been uh, in the book of Acts since February. And uh, what we looked at last week was the beginning of Acts 13, where Paul and Barnabas and John Mark get sent out by the church at Antioch to embark on Paul's first missionary journey, where they leave the comforts of Antioch, the safety, the, the security there, and out of love for the lost, they go and they leave friends and family and uh, go to the island of Cyprus. And that's what we looked at last week was we saw salvation came to Cyprus as the result of their sacrificial love and their advancing the gospel there, that through their death, through their cost, through their sacrifice came salvation and life to others. And so today, where we're at in our text, as we see, is that they leave the island of Cyprus, and they head northbound into Turkey uh, for their next mission, if you will, okay, their next uh, battle of sorts. And so if you can pull up the map, just give us a quick context for where we're at. Yeah, so if you look at the map, you see uh, they left Paphos, the Roman proconsul at, at Paphos came to know Jesus, and then they sailed northbound to the, uh, the, the region of Pamphylia. But where we're at in our text is all the way at the top of the screen is Antioch. Um, not the Antioch to the right in Syria, but Antioch in Pisidia. And so what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks as we continue our study in Acts is all the churches that Paul plants in the region of Galatia. We see Iconium, Lystra, uh, Derby, Antioch. All those places are actual churches that Paul wrote to when he wrote the letter of Galatians. So what we're, where we're at in our text is this, is uh, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. They go to a synagogue. And the way it would work in the synagogues, there'd be a reading of scripture, just like a new did. And then someone like me would, uh, maybe a ruling elder in the synagogue would, would look. And, and for some reason, the ruling elder at this synagogue made the biggest mistake of his professional career. 
and he handed the microphone to the Apostle Paul. And he goes, hey, would you like to speak? Do you have anything encouraging to say to us? And Paul goes, actually, I do. That's why I'm here. And then Paul preaches a sermon. And he preaches Jesus Christ crucified and raised to new life, the Messiah that was foretold of in the Old Testament scriptures to proclaim and to accomplish liberty for the people of God. And so that's what we're looking at today is we're preaching through Paul's sermon. And the title of my sermon is this, is remember who your God is. And why is that our title? Because often I think we suffer from gospel amnesia, gospel amnesia. We tend to be so quick to forget who our God is, what he's done for us, and all that is rightfully ours in Christ Jesus. And the result of that gospel amnesia is rather than living a life full of joy and full of abundant kindness and grace and mercy, the fruits of the Spirit, often we live in scarcity. We live in fear. We live in uh, faithlessness instead of rather than faithfulness. Instead of living in the plenty that God has accomplished for us, we live in scarcity. So who here has a fall birthday? Anyone here have a fall birthday? Yes. One, oh, a lot of y'all. Anyone October birthday? One? Yes. October 20. Wait, are you, you got my same birthday. Yeah, that's right. By the way, it's Heather Duhame's birthday, by the way. I think she's back in kids' church. Make sure you uh, say, uh, sing happy birthday to her when you see her. But um, October's a great month for me. I have, my birthday is October 29th. Last week, I got to celebrate that. And it's not just because it was my birthday that I love October. It's also Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> And so I'm rolling pretty deep in gift cards right now, church. I'm rolling pretty deep. It's awesome. Okay. And, um, you know, we are a grace-based gospel-centered community. And so if you have not given me a gift card yet, uh, <laughs> no worries. The elders actually met. And out of grace to you, we decided to make the month of November as well, Pastor Appreciation Month. So you can, obviously joking, obviously joking. Uh, please don't get me anything. Uh, but for those that did, uh, I'm going to use uh, you all as a sermon illustration. So here's the deal. If... Um, you're like me. When someone gives you a physical gift card, uh, I don't like to carry things in my wallet, right? I just want like the essentials there. And so I don't know what to do. And so often what happens if you're like me, you don't want to carry it in your wallet or your purse or you Gen Zers, your fanny pack, because those are making a comeback now. If you didn't know that, um, which I think is awesome, by the way. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to be preaching with a fanny pack on from up here. But anyways, um, and so what you do is, for me, what I do is I, I, I have this gift card. It's amazing. I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, Chipotle, these awesome restaurants, some of my play, favorite places to eat. And then I put it where all the miscellaneous stuff in my house goes is in the junk drawer, right? The kitchen, everyone has a kitchen junk drawer, right? And that's where it goes. You got receipts, you got pens, you got papers. I have old seminary papers in there. My kids got stale Cheerios in there. Like everything goes, makes its way into the junk drawer. And then I forget about it. And then when I forget about it, I didn't forget about the gift card you gave me, I'm just, for, theoretically speaking, when I forget about it and I live as if I don't possess it. I live in scarcity rather than in abundance when in fact the whole time I, I'm, I'm rolling deep with gift cards. And so I'm at home now microwaving veggie burgers instead of going to Chipotle and getting double steak and guacamole on that bad boy because someone gave me a generous gift card to Chipotle, right? And often in our lives, the reason I share that is we suffer from, maybe I suffer from gift card amnesia, but tragically, this often describes the way we live our Christian life. Instead of living blown away in awestruck wonder, jaws on the floor of who our Redeemer is and what he's done for us, we quickly forget and so the reason I share all that is today we have an amazing opportunity with this sermon, uh, looking at Paul's sermon, to be reminded of three things. We're going to be looking at three things to uh, frame out our sermon this morning. Is One, we need to remember that we have a shepherd who is with us, 
we have a savior who died for us, and lastly, we have a sovereign who reigns over us. We are not abandoned. We are not sheep without a shepherd. We are not stuck in our sins. We do not have a, a, a king on the throne. The, the people of God, we have a shepherd, we have a savior, and we have a sovereign. So join me in praying, and then we'll, we'll jump into God's word. So Father, we just come before you grateful. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you have your way with our hearts? Open up our ears, open up our, our, our eyes to see you and to hear your word. Return to us awestruck wonder of who you are, your presence, your nearness, your love, your faithfulness. Show us Jesus. Would he increase in our hearts? Would he increase this morning? And Lord, I pray up here I would decrease and be forgotten so that you can be glorified. And we all leave here with our chin up and our shoulders back knowing that our future, our salvation, our eternity is forever secure in this man who we love and trust and worship, Jesus Christ. And it's in his beautiful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, point number one, we need to remember that we have a shepherd who is with us. What immediately sticks out with the reading of our text is, is from Paul's retelling of the good news from the Old Testament is there's one primary actor in the story of redemption. What is impossible to miss is the activity of God on behalf of his people. Look at this list. It'll be on the screen. Verses 17 through 23. The God of his people, Israel, he chose our fathers, the patriarchs, they didn't choose him. He chose. He made the people great in Egypt. And then he led them out of Egypt with an uplifted arm. He put up with them in the wilderness, showing his steadfast love and patience. He destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. And he gave them the promised land. And then he gave them judges to lead them. And then he gave them King Saul after they asked. And then he removed uh, Saul after Saul's disobedience. And then he raised up David to be their king, a man after the heart of God. And all of that was leading to the truer and better king. And he is brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. As he promised, he fulfilled all the prophetic promises in the old covenant of this coming Messiah, Jesus. And the reason I share all that, what I want to hone in this morning is let's not miss God's heart towards his people. What we see here in the story of redemption in the Holy Text, in the Holy Scripture, is God's steadfast, covenantal, lavish love towards his people throughout the centuries, both the quality of his pursuit and his faithfulness and his love and the quantity over time, century after century, keeping his word, keeping his promises, never failing his people in the midst of their failures and their unfaithfulness. And if I were to give one word to describe all the activity we see of God in Paul's sermon and in the Old Testament, it would be shepherd. That of a shepherd, we see God called them to himself. He led out his people like sheep out of slavery. He patiently endured their drifting and they're wandering. He fought off their enemies that were far too strong for them. And then he provided, and he gave, and he provided more, and he gave more, and he gave. And then he gave the ultimate gift to his people. He gave the gift of his precious son, the truer and better shepherd, Jesus Christ, who in John 10 would say this, in John 10, 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Going to verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And so all that to say, do you believe this morning that this is Christ's heart posture towards you? That this is his heart posture towards you, how he views you, how he seeks you, how he fights for you, how he contends for you. Tragically, often we live our lives that Jesus, our good shepherd, laid down his life for us, but then he's ghosted us. He's nowhere to be found. And we often have this kind of distant, deistic view of God, where we view God uh, as this kind of cold, distant, uh, angry God who only intervenes in our lives when we mess up. The only time we'll actually get engagement from our shepherd is when we mess up, so he can come in and whisper condemnation and guilt in our ears. And that's not the heart of God. And the way that manifests in our lives when we believe that about God is that we, we miss out on the very purpose of our, rede- of our redemption, this relationship of love and communion and fellowship with our good shepherd who knows his sheep and wants his sheep to know him. And you might be asking, okay, well, how could the Lord be my shepherd? How could the king, the eternal, the omniscient creator of all things condescend and want to be in my midst and be in my midst, dwelling in me and among me? How is it possible that he could be my shepherd? Well, the simple answer to that is by his Holy Spirit. It's by his Holy Spirit. This is what we've seen throughout the entire series in Acts is that the Holy Spirit has come because of what Christ has done. He's filled the people of God. And I think the the broad storyline of Acts so far is that the Holy Spirit has been shepherding the people of God. He's been leading them. He's been speaking to them. He's been empowering them. He's been fighting for them and through them to advance his kingdom across the face of the earth. And the beautiful thing, if you ever doubt the heart of your good shepherd for you. Often uh, we need to see the gospel this way as well, is we know that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, laid down his life so that we could dwell with him, right? So we could dwell with him. And what if there's a flip side to that coin? Jesus Christ laid down his life so that he could dwell with us. Not just the other way around, right? But that Jesus could dwell with us by the spirit of Christ and filling us and being with us forever because love always manifests in proximity. Love will always show itself in closeness, in nearness, and getting all up in somebody's space. That's how love manifests, right? And the contrast of that is if you don't love somebody, you don't want to be near them, right? You don't want to be near them. And yet Jesus died. He gave his life so that, yes, you could dwell with him forever, but so that he could dwell with you forever. That's the heart of the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. So that when their sin would have caused separation forever, he takes the hit for their sin so that they can be reconciled to him. And that's from Genesis to Revelation. We see God's pursuit of dwelling in the midst of his people so much so that he would give his son to make that possible. Because wherever you are is where Jesus Christ wants to be and he died to be with you. That's his heart. That's his heart. And if you're like me, often we do not believe that at all. Cold, distant, condemning, all that stuff. Last night, my, uh, my kids 
uh, I was putting all the kids to bed. Jen was out. And um, man, my kids were partying last night. All right, when daddy watches the kids, they don't, they don't go to sleep, all right? And so they usually go to bed around 7, and then I had to put baby Nick to sleep. And um, Kelsey and Steffi were up chirping and partying for like an hour in their room, okay? Just like, I mean, blasting music, and, you know, just they weren't blasting music. Anyways, but uh, just playing. And I, I come up from the kitchen. It's like 8.30 now, super late. And I'm like, this is actually kind of good because of daylight savings. Anyways, and, uh, and I see the doors cracked, and little Kelsey's still wide awake. And she's kind of looking out. And in that moment, the heart of the father was not, my heart towards her was not condemnation. I didn't, I didn't slam the door and just leave her and let her sit in that. What I did, I was like, my heart leaped and I go, man, I get some more giggles with my kids. And so I run in there and I, man, like, what's amazing about my kids, they laugh at all my jokes. And so they're, they're an easy crowd, you know, I'm like, so I go in there and I'm like, you know, chirping with them and like, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, you know, like I pretend to be angry. But the heart of that is I just want to be with my kids. Oh, they're still awake. Oh, I get, to, I get to hang out with them. I get to hang out with them more. I get to hear them laugh more. I get to be in their presence more. That's the heart of Jesus towards us. In prayer, it's not just that we need to, to pursue God. It's that Jesus is delighting when we come to him in prayer. Say, oh, yes, I get to spend more time with them. In the wee hours of the night before our head hits the pillow and we get to spend one last moment of prayer, quieting our hearts, reflecting on the day, praying the day before, Jesus is delighted. That's his heart for us. And the ultimate reality of your life, I hope this encourages you by the spirit and by the preaching of the word, the ultimate reality of your life is that you have a good shepherd. And if that is the ultimate reality of your life, everything changes. Psalm 16, 8 says this, The Lord is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And if the Lord is at your right hand, let's live as if he is. Let's live as if the Lord is at our right hand and we will not be shaken. Preaching about a good shepherd is not saying you have an imaginary friend to talk to. He's real. He shepherds us by his spirit. And when the Lord takes you on a journey like he has in my last two years of my life, and all of a sudden, the good shepherd shifts from being an imaginary friend to being someone who's your present help in time of need, your entire life changes. Because he starts speaking, and it freaks you out. He starts, he starts leading you. He starts, you start praying about everything, and he starts answering prayers. Every moment of temptation is an opportunity to connect with your good shepherd to fight your battle on your behalf. You're not alone you're not alone. Jesus didn't die and then leave you to fight in the flesh for yourself. He gave you a spirit to shepherd you in, in the green pasture and through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the ultimate reality of our lives. This is our inheritance. This is our portion, his presence, the presence of our good shepherd, both now and forevermore. Be of good cheer. You have a good shepherd. And his posture towards you is to die so that he can be with you and he wants to be with you and he loves to come and lead us and guide us and comfort us and speak to us and hang out with us because that's his heart towards you. Second thing we see in our text is that we have a call to remember what our, we have a call to remember that we don't just have a shepherd who's with us, but we have a savior who died for us. This was the message that Paul proclaimed when uh, <laughs> the ruler of the synagogue passed him the mic. It wasn't seven highly effective steps to your best you now, right? That's not the message. He preached the proclamation of the good news to damn sinners 
that there was a savior, Jesus Christ, who had come to fully and finally rescue humanity from their sins and the consequences of it. And how the Messiah secured this salvation was through his substitutionary death. Substitutionary meaning on behalf of others. His substitutionary death on the cross as foretold by the prophet centuries before it happened. This is one of one example of a messianic prophecy of what the Messiah would come to do in Isaiah 53, written centuries before the time of Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All of us, Every single one of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. That's sin. And the Lord has laid upon him our iniquities, the iniquity of us all. This is what we see in Isaiah 53 about how we get salvation. He takes the hit, and they go free. He dies, we live. He's crushed, we're healed. He becomes sin, we become saints. He receives forsakenness, we receive fellowship. He gets crucifixion, we get salvation. He receives undeserved wrath, and we receive undeserved mercy. And the result of this great exchange between the Messiah and sinners, the great exchange of the gospel, of his substitutionary death on the cross, on behalf of your sins and mine, is that those who once bore their own sins, those who once carried their own iniquities and the damning consequences of them, eternal separation, physical and spiritual death, separation from the goodness of God forever, they bear them no more. Oh, the bliss, my sin, Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. It's the best news on the planet Earth. Our greatest needs have been met by the great, lavish heart of our Father, providing us a way for the forgiveness of our sins, the reconciliation to the Father, and eternal life with him forever. And this is the good news that Paul proclaims in our text, Christ crucified, Jesus Christ on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God for our sins so that we go free and we get salvation. This is what he says in Acts 13, 38 through 39. Paul preaching the fire. I mean, I would have loved to hear the apostle Paul preach in the synagogue. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, this man alone, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, his death, his performance, his life, his sacrifice, everyone who believes, everyone who believes, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, everyone who believes, not in themselves for salvation, but in Christ for salvation, is freed. From what? From everything. From everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses, sin, death, And the devil have no hold or claim in your life anymore. And what Paul was saying, I mean, you would have heard a record scratch in the synagogue. 
It was a shocking statement to say in a synagogue that freedom from sin could never come through the law of Moses. Could never come from the law of Moses. He said, he's saying essentially, you have believed. A human sinner before a God who is holy and righteous, you have believed in a false equation of justification, of acceptance before God. You believe this equation, my obedience plus my sacrifice equals my salvation, my justification, my obedience to the law of Moses. And when I fail, then I'll atone for that through the sacrificial system equals my acceptance before God. God gave us the law. I'll obey it. When I don't, I'll atone for my sins. And this is how I'll gain favor with God. And simply put, this is an exhausting way to live your life. An exhausting way to live your life. Striving, striving, striving for obedience, for perfection, failing, 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 and then doing what? Atoning, 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 right? And tragically, we live our lives as Christians. We live our lives like this. We still live our lives like this. We live our lives thinking that God is playing a game of red light, green light with us. Are you tracking with me? Like, like the, the age-old question is, how, how can humanity connect and stand in the presence and be reconciled to the divine, the transcendent, the, 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 the God, the great designer, the creator of the heavens? And the earth? How can that happen? And the way that uh, every other worldview essentially says this is how we uh, encounter the living God is a game of red light, green light, where God is tenured. Everyone, does anyone know what red light, green light is? You played it as a kid? Yeah, of course, okay? If you don't, some kid sits, uh, you know, 10 yards in front of you, and they call out red light or green light. If they say green light, you run, and if they say red light, you stop. So they give you some rules, okay? And you all start here, the equal, equal line, and then when they shout out this, this command, you go and obey it, and if you miss the command, if they say green light and you don't move, you don't get closer. But if they say red light and you move, then you have to go back all the way back at square one. And, and this is what we believe about our walks with Jesus, Right, that we start here and, you know, we start maybe every, every Sunday morning, the beginning of our week, we start here, here's God, and say, okay, I went to church, awesome, obeyed that, okay, and uh, let's see, uh, I share my faith with my neighbor, okay, boom, I'm, a little bit I'm getting closer to God. I'm getting closer to God through my good works, okay? Man, I had an awesome quiet time, listened to that new, uh, you know, whatever album, okay, boom, like, man, I'm so close to God in this season, and now look at everyone who's not as close to me. This, these people don't share their faith as much as I do. Uh, I don't think they're really rocking the spiritual disciplines as much as I do. And then you go, oh, shoot, I'm really proud. I got to go back to square one. And now I'm far away from God again, right? Because the way we get close is through obedience, it's through performance. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do. We have access because of Christ, not because of our moral performance. That was never good enough. There's no sacrifice we could make. There's no obedience we could give that could ever usher us in the presence of God. It's through Jesus and what he's done, which is the best news on the planet because it means that, that, that we have access. We, we know for 1,000% secure and sure that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence in any situation we find ourselves on this side of the grave, knowing that it's not through us, but it's through the name of Jesus and his obedience and his sacrifice that we are in the presence of of God. And so the new equation for life is this, is it's Christ's perfect obedience and it's Christ's perfect sacrifice that leads to my salvation, leads to my salvation. And Romans 5 tells us what the result is, is this, Romans 5, 1 through 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
faith meaning stop looking at yourself for salvation and put your trust on Jesus Christ, believing that he died for you. He, made the, he lived the perfect life on your behalf so that you could be set free from your sins and be reconciled to God. Faith in him, by faith in Christ, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And then verse two, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So that is the ultimate reality of our lives as Christians. We need to remember that today as we have a savior who has died for our sins. This is the core reality of our lives is that we stand in the grace of God forever. That's our inheritance. That's what we receive in Christ Jesus. Our sins remembered no more. God's grace, his kindness, his mercy. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says it this way. In him we have redemption through his blood. That's how we're redeemed, through his sacrifice, not ourselves, not our own. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He lavished upon us. And so what that means is this, and I'll move on to our last point, is that transit family, if you are here today and you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and your salvation from eternal separation from God and confess out of your mouth that he is Lord, this is the ultimate reality of your life, meaning this is that your case has been tried before the king of the universe Your case has been tried. The verdict has come and the judge has pronounced over your life innocence, not guilty, forgiven, free, cleansed, holy, and righteous. Your case has been tried on the cross the once and for all, Hebrews 10. I don't have time to read I was gonna read it. Hebrews 10, the once and for all sacrifice. Christ died once and for all for your sins, past, present, future. So your case has been tried. The verdict has been rendered, not guilty, and it would be unjust of God to try your case again. So stop retrying it. So stop opening up the books. You're forgiven. That's the voice of the accuser condemning you. When the Father says justified, when the Father says perfect righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed, imputation imputed to you, given to you, that's our hope. That's our Savior and what he's done. And my question to us before we move on to the last thing is, what would our lives look like, holy smokes, if we lived in light of this truth? If we stopped playing red light, green light with God and we lived in light of the gospel, the gospel around it, imagine the joy that would come knowing that there is grace for me. And if there's grace for me, that means I can extend grace to others. God's riches and kindness poured out at Christ's expense. I'm never going to measure up. I'm not going to be perfect. But God's grace covering a multitude of my sins. And what that looks like is this. Going back to last night, uh, Jen, got a couple sermon illustrations for last night. Uh, So now I'm putting baby Nick to bed and I'm feeding him his bottle. And it's this precious moment where he's my son. And we're connecting and I'm feeding him the bottle and lavishing my love upon him and holding him in my arms and sustaining him. And it's just this precious moment. I'm praying over him. I'm like tearing up, all this stuff. And then my man barfs all over me. <laughs> just, I showered, man. It was all, like it was, 
it was everywhere. I mean, just boom, like it's crazy, absolutely crazy. Did he stop becoming my son in that instance? Did I put him up for adoption after that? No. I changed him. Bought him down on the floor, tarried with him in his mess. Got low, helped him navigate through it, right? I didn't reject him. I said, get out of my presence. I cleaned him up and I started again. And I gave him the bottle again and I prayed over him again. And he slept soundly, like eventually, for the glory of Jesus. That's the heart of God. We have a savior. Our sins are covered. He loves you. And when we do what baby Nick did last night, what's his posture? He wants to enter into that space and clean us up again and start right back where we were before. Because that's the whole story of our life is we stand in grace. We can't perform our way out of it and we can't sin our way out of it. It's our inheritance forever. We stand in his grace. We stand in his grace. And lastly, we need to remember that we have a sovereign. We have a king who reigns over us. In Paul's sermon, he mentions multiple rulers and kings that Israel historically placed their hope in. Moses, the judges, the prophets, King Saul, and David. And the common theme with all of these rulers and kings is that they sinned and they stayed in the grave. They sinned and they stayed in the grave. And Paul's good news is that the Messiah has come. The truer and better king from the line of David has come, who we can actually put our hope and trust in to eternally reign and rule over us justly and rightly and perfectly. And what's different about this king than all the other kings we see in Paul's sermon is that he never sinned and he didn't stay in the grave. Acts 13, 36-37. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, what happened? He fell asleep, he died. And he laid with his fathers and he saw corruption, meaning his corpse got stanky and he was decaying, dead, he saw corruption. Verse 37, but he whom God raised up, Jesus, did not see corruption. So what are you saying? King, De- King David, who Israel put their hope in, is dead, buried, and rotting, but King Jesus is raised, glorified, and reigning over all, and we can put our trust in him because our, our trust uh, and our hope can rest securely in him. And it's just so interesting is, you know, there's been a whole lot that's been going on in our, in our nation these past couple of years, and, and, and there's a lot of talk recently of, man, our nation is so divided. Our, our, our nation is uh, being shaken, and and, and, what's, and a lot of Christians are, are full of fear, and, and I've struggled with this as well. I'm not knocking America or making anything political, but I'm saying, Christian, when you say our nation, what nation are you talking about? Let's all talk about our nation. Last time I checked in the scriptures, our king is enthroned forever. Our candidate is in office. He doesn't, he doesn't leave the throne in four years. He's eternally enthroned, seated at the right hand of the Father. When Christ raised, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1 says, above all rule, authority, power, dominion. And then if that's not enough, above every name that could ever be named. And then if that's not enough, he says, he says uh, all things are under his feet. And he's the head of the church. That's our king. That's our king. And our nation is his kingdom. So we're inheriting. uh, We have a king, a sovereign Lord who reigns over us eternally. And we receive a kingdom that can never be shaken. Hebrews 12, 28 says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So our Christian, our nation is not being shaken. 
Our king is not on the throne biting his fingernails. We're, be of good cheer. Your eternity is secure. And, 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 and if we want to be true to what the scriptures say, the apostolic instruction, I love, I love America. Sure, I'm not dogging on it, but this is just our Airbnb. It's not our nation. It's our second nation, our first primary citizenship, the first king we put our hope in and pledge allegiance to and, and live our lives for is King Jesus. And let that king and let that kingdom consume everything we live for because Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and the sermon on my and everything else will be added unto you. He's seated, Ephesians 1, he's seated above anything that could come against his people. Anything that could come against his church. He's seated above pandemics. He's seated above uh, division. He's seated above financial insecurity. He's seated above any demonic attack that can come against you. And Ephesians 2.6, go read Ephesians, read your Bibles. Ephesians 2.6 says this, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. In his grace to us, adopted as citizens in his kingdom, reigning with him in those heavenly places. And so my final question, I'll conclude with this is what would our lives look like if we lived our light, our life in light of this reality that we have a king who reigns over our circumstances, who reigns over us. We have a shepherd who is with us, who died to be with us, to comfort us, to lead us and guide us. We have a savior when sin brought to, sought to separate us. Uh, who came and rescued us by dying for us so that we can have the assurance of our salvation, our sins cleansed forever. And then thirdly, we have a king who's been raised, he's been glorified, and he reigns and rules over the heavens and over the earth and above anything that could ever come against us. Transit church, transit family, I think we're going to be all right. I think we're going to be all right. When everyone else is freaking out, may the church, may be said of the church of Jesus Christ is, I'm going to remember who my king is, who my savior is, who my shepherd is, and what's going, to, what's going to mark us in these difficult times, and it may get a whole lot worse, what's going to mark us is our unshakable hope and trust and confidence in our unshakable king and his unshakable kingdom. So, Ben, you can come forward so that our refrain is this, and I'll conclude with Romans 8. This is our song. This is our song. This is our battle cry. This is what it looks like to remember our shepherd and our savior and our sovereign, what he's done for us. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Watch this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. And we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, my mind is made up. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the cry of our hearts. That's who our God is. That's what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. So let's remember that today. Let us rejoice in that today and let the Holy Spirit come and blow our minds by who our God is so that we go filled with joy, filled with love, filled with his peace and his kindness. We go and we tell the world about who our King is and the hope we have in Jesus. Let's pray. God, who are we that you would love us this well? Who are we? Who are we, Lord Jesus? That you would pursue us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, you would die for us. Who are we that the king of the universe would want to abide with us and dwell with us, to hear our prayers? to be bothered with the small details of our lives day in and day out? You want to do that? You invite us to do that? To come to you with our stress, to come to you with our depression, to come to you with our anxiety time after time, and we come before you guilt-laden that we should be over this by now, and you don't condemn us, but you welcome us, you embrace us. Thank you. Thank you, God. Who are we? Who are we? And the Lord says, you're my people. The Lord says, you're my precious son. You're my precious daughter. Who have I died to save? I've died to save you. Open your eyes to see my love. Look at my cross. Look at my affection for you. Open your ears to hear my refrain on the cross. It is finished and open up your heart to receive the love that I have for you. The Spirit of God, His love poured into our hearts through faith. Welcome that in your life. He's not cold, He's not distant, He's not angry. This gospel screams of a good shepherd who lays down his life for sheep so that he can dwell in their midst forever and we can dwell with him forever. So come Holy Spirit and have your way, God. Open up our eyes to see you, Jesus, and your heart towards us. And may this reality, as we behold you, behold your beauty and your nature and your character and your love for us, may it so shape us this morning that we go out, chin up, shoulders back, rejoicing, and you give us opportunities to invite others in to experience the undeserved grace and love that we have so richly been lavished with. Christ Jesus. So we love you. We bless your name, Jesus, the name in which man can be saved and set free and given eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.